0: By the Spirit of God, praise you, Father. We were talking uh, with the kids a couple days ago about uh, when we read the Word, when we hear the Word, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. So it's possible for our brains to get it, but our heart's not to get it. And um, our spirit, the word of God was intended for our spirits, not for our intellectual training. Amen? You know, so, Father, I just pray. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I was reminded we were praying. Lisa and I were praying um, just yesterday or the day before. And uh, we were praying in the spirit about something. And we invited the kids. We said, you know, they were doing something, and, and I think they were getting in trouble. So we said, why don't you just come pray with us? So we, we, got, we brought them all in, and, and we asked them to pray with us. And as we were praying in the Spirit, I asked her, I said, were you getting anything, you know, after we prayed? And she said, no. She said, but I heard something, and I won't tell you which child because I don't want to embarrass them. I heard something when this child was praying in the Spirit. And I said, what would you hear? She said, I don't know, but I heard something in the spirit that said something like this. And, and she said, I could tell you that it was, it was that we were being kind of like, it was against uh, negativity, oppression, fear, and it was like a praise. It was a sound of a victorious praise. Did I get that right? She said, that's what I heard. I said wait a minute you heard the syllables like ba no no what I heard was are you getting what I'm saying what I heard in my spirit I mean a tongue's interpretation what I heard in my spirit was victorious praise about this situation that were to approach it with a victorious praise so what what I I just felt to share that because We've got to hear with our spirits. We've got to hear. The, there's a sound. There's a message. There's, a, there's something that God wants to convey to our spirits when we get in the spirit. Amen? So my prayer is that I wouldn't give a good talk. <laughs> Amen, right? Amen. That, Father, I pray that for the next few minutes that you'd use me, Father, to, that, that we would hear something from your spirit to our spirit through your word. Amen? Amen. I want to talk just a few minutes about, um, I gave this a title, Sifting for Lifting. Amen? Sifting for Lifting. You know, when, let's go to Luke chapter 22, and I want to just talk for a few minutes about the story of Peter, where Satan, how many know what, what Satan wanted to do? Somebody tell me, that's right, he wanted to sift Peter. You know, there and this is just coming to me out. You know, there are things going on in the realm of the Spirit that we don't see. <laughs> so they're walking along, along the shores of Galilee. They're doing their thing. Jesus is healing the sick. They're trying to find some bread. They're on their way to Jerusalem. But while Jesus is living his life, he's multitasking in the Spirit, and he knows what the devil's doing. And he actually knows that the devil has asked for Peter. He's like, in the Spirit... God has shown me. He didn't come out and say, "Thus sayeth the Lord." But he's like, "In my spirit, I understand, and I, I, have a sensing of what the enemy's trying to do right now, and what I understand and know by the Spirit of God is that there's an attack coming on you, Peter." I mean, the, Holy, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will show us things to come, and we need Him, Amen. And I mean, know, unfortunately, Peter didn't heed the warning. He said, "Come on, Lord." I got this. I got this. And anytime we're we're in a position where we can say, I got this, we're in a position where we need to repent and say, Lord, I need you, and you got this. (laughs) Amen. So Jesus tells Peter, Simon, Simon. And I love the fact that there's an exclamation point there. I almost feel like Jesus is like, hey, I'm getting something. Listen, I want you to hear what's going on in the spirit right now. This is fresh, hot off the wire. This isn't where we're going to eat dinner. But Simon, listen to me. I know something by the spirit of God. Satan, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And then you know the story. I'll just read verses 33 and 34. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. In other words, that's not going to happen. And then in verse 34, Jesus says, but I'm telling you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. You know, I was just thinking, I've been reading in the book of Jeremiah, and over and over and over again, Jeremiah keeps warning the people, warning the people, warning the people, please repent. Please turn from your wicked ways. I'm telling you the Chaldeans are coming. I'm telling you they're going to burn this city with fire. I'm telling you judgment's coming. Please listen. Please listen. And you know what? When God says something and when there's something established in eternity, In the realm of the spirit, God knows the beginning from the end. It's going to happen. Just as sure as we're sitting here, what God says is going to happen. Somebody say amen. What God says over our lives is going to happen. What God says over his church corporately is going to happen. What God says is going to happen in this world and in America, it's going to happen. So he says, Peter, you better check yourself. So what does it mean to be sifted? I, I that word kind of caught me today, and the Greek word is sianazio. I don't know if I, I massacred that or not, but anyway, it means um, to be shaken, as in a sieve. S-i-v-e, like you, would, like almost like a colander, like you would you would shift. Or the, and and shake it so that all the impurities come out, but what's left is what you want there. Amen. And um, I don't believe this. You know, I I, try, I, I tried something new tonight, and, and I I I write down the definition, but that's okay. I usually have the 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 Lisa told me you don't need the the laptop, you don't need Google Docs. You why don't you just write it down? So I wrote it down, and I don't have the definition. It's okay. But basically Thayer's definition means, means to be um, thrown down, um, to be separated. And the word itself, the, the literal translation is the sifting of wheat, where the chaff comes off and then you have the wheat left, right? The, the outer core comes off and then you have the, the seed left. But figuratively, what Really, what it means is to be to go through a severe trial, to the point of almost giving up. Amen. Okay. So basically, what Jesus is telling Peter is, and I and I didn't I didn't get this right a while back. I, when I said he wants to sift you, when I when I have read that in the past, I thought it was he wants to take you out. But that's not what he meant by that. Now Satan believed that the trial he was going to put Peter through would ultimately take him out. But the good news is that with the sifting that the enemy wanted, God had in mind a lifting in Peter's life to a greater level. And th- that God literally used and manipulated the enemy's attack to bring Peter into greater conformity to the will and the life of Jesus Christ. I've been, um, Kathy gave me a book uh, and I would recommend it to everybody. It's like, is, you know, some books it's like, that's a good book, but other books it's just like, yeah, I need, need to read that one. Amen. Uh, Dr. Bill Hammond, Your Highest Calling. And I just finished that book. And basically, the premise of that book is that the ultimate will of God in our life is to bring forth the conformity and the transformation and the character of Christ. In us. And that if we have other ambitions other than that, that we're gonna crash and burn. So if, if I'm all for souls, and that's an ambition that I have, or if I believe if I really want this in my Christian life, but that my driving desire is not to be conformed to God's will for my life, to his character and nature. That, and, and it's just a wonderful book. He goes through a lot of the, the things that he has gone through in his life. Um, and one of them was, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that this man actually went through that. Um, but God used it. So Satan inspired, God used. And I thought about Job because the devil came to him, right, and he said, what about Job? And Satan said, I'm going to go after him. But what did God say? You can attack him, but don't touch his, you can't touch his life. And that's the way it is with you and I. The enemy can come and he can attack us, but he can't take our life. He can't touch our spirits. He can put us through, but the Bible says we're going through, and we're going to be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. So in sifting, there's a process involved. And I heard Willie George say this one time. He said, we like project, not process. And that's part of the book that I read. It's really about the process. How do we reach the conformity to Christ? Through process, through trials that we go through, through things that we have to deal with as, as believers, very often unpleasant. That God is bringing us through these things and working his character and nature in us. So sifting involves a couple of different things. The first one is threshing. The second is winnowing. So the first thing they do is they take the wheat stalk and they put it down. Now, this is old school before we had the combines. The combines do it all in one, you know. But in, in, in old times, they would throw the, the wheat down and they would stomp on it. Right? What's the Bible say in 1 Corinthians 5? Excuse me, 1 Corinthians 4. 4. It says we are crushed, right, but not I better read it. I, I can't quote it. Anybody feel like you've been walked over lately, right? Through the sieve, you know, you're going through it, right? We are hard pressed. 1 Corinthians, Second Corinthians, four, eight. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the life of Jesus may also be manifested in your body. So, as we go through the crushing, through the pressing, through the threshing, it's going through a process of knocking off that chaff, peeling away and taking away the things and the characters that we don't want in us. And then the second thing that happens is there's the winnowing process. And in the winnowing process, that's where they totally blow the chaff away and take it away as far as the east is from the west. My old man was crucified in Christ. Somebody say amen. So the process of that old man being shed off and, and just taken away sometimes in deal, uh, involves trials, testings. But I felt like, you know what, as as that chaff is blown away, you know, we are going to be blown away by what God does in our lives. Really? You say, well, wait a minute, hold on, you know getting threshed and stomped. You know, I thought the devil was, remember we sing that song, the enemy's under my feet, you know. Well, I, know, I feel like the enemy's on top of me right now, you know, but listen, through it all, we're gonna be blown away with, with what God, the end that God has in mind for us. And God has an end in mind for us. Amen. So the devil wanted to take Peter down, but God wanted to preserve them, and winnowing really is the preserving process, and I was thinking recently, we were, we were walking the dog, and there's some new neighbors in the neighborhood, and, and we're walking by this house, and all of a sudden, this big German shepherd comes tearing after us, and, and it's like, this thing's coming for us, so I start to back off, I start to grab my dog, because we've been through that before, you know. And all of a sudden I hear this voice, this this guy yelling to me something, and I was I couldn't hear what he was saying because I was getting ready for an attack of a German shepherd. And I'm thinking maybe drop the dog down, kick it in the throat. I don't, you know, getting ready for a fight, you know. And this guy's yelling something, I'm like, you know, could you I can't hear you. Can you get your dog, please? <laughs> and what he's saying is, invisible fence. invisible fence. <laughs> She's got an invisible fence, you know. And I was thinking about that. You know, the devil can only come so far in our lives. There's a power line that we can't see that God has put there that says, you know what, you can tempt, you can test, I will use you for my purposes, but you're only going so far. And God is like that, like that man at the house calling to us saying, don't forget that I, he can only go so far. That he can't take your life. And and I really felt like with Job and Peter that that is, that is seen there. Now, the ultimate goal for the process that we go through is for the divine nature to be left and everything else taken away. And the main characteristic of that is love. And... I was, I'll just tell another quick story. I was, I had to have this test done where they put me to sleep and um, for a short time and they they look at my stomach. Anyway, uh, there's the anesthesiologist who authorizes the the anesthesia. He's a doctor, MD. And then they have a nurse anesthetist that's with you in the room, you know, that's really just pushing the fluids and making sure that, you're still alive, and if anything happens and they don't like your blood pressure, then they call the doctor. But they're with you before, during, and after the procedure. Well, this this guy that was with me, I learned, was a believer. And he'd had a a similar background that I did in life. And we got talking a little bit, probably talking more than usual because I was feeling a little spacey with the drugs they gave me. And I actually told him about Derek Prince. He wrote it down and everything. But he said something to me, uh, a while back, and it started to happen to me. You know, sometimes you hear pastor preach something, and it's like, oh, man, that's good. But you don't see it for a while. You know, it doesn't manifest in your life. And what he said was, you know, I my life, I used to live for myself. I, I, was, I was into this and I was into that. But he said, when I wake up every morning, the first thing I do is love God. He didn't say the first thing I do is pr- ha- prayer time or devotional or, uh, and not that there's anything wrong with that. Or, or, you know, I read five chapters. No, he said the first thing I do is love God. And then the next, and then I go out and I, in my job, I get to help people like I'm helping you. Loving God, loving other people. And I don't know, it was a week or two ago, I, I just found myself, it's like I can't let this day go by without loving God. It's not like I need to pray. But it's like I have to love God. And I've been loving God. And I'm loving it. <laughs> and it's so important. I mean, it's the first commandment. We all know it. And I've heard pastor preach it. I've read it in the word. But there's something in me, and I pray that it maybe get on you tonight, that sees the need to love God. God, I love you today. I just love you, God. And you know what? We'll do for love what we won't do for other things, you know? And, and ultimately... The connection here is, I mean, you know, Peter's sifting process involved denying Jesus, right? So I want you to think about the man that cut off the the soldier's ear. The man that was arguing with Jesus. The impetuous man that was worried about the bread, you know. His walk with Christ... Before the sifting was personal ambition, self-love. Think about Judas. What did Jesus say to him when he came to betray him in the garden? Whom do you seek? Who are we really seeking? And I think sometimes for some of us where God has moved in our life and we've seen the provision that he's brought to us, it's like, all right, God, all right, you know I got saved. You moved in my life. You saved me from this, and you saved my life, and now what are we going to do next here? Amen? As opposed to a loving relationship with the Father. And really what Jesus had to show him through this process was that his desire to follow Christ was self-love involved. You know, there used to be a song, um, I'm gonna date me. Don't make fun of me now. I think it was um, Babyface. Remember Babyface? He was a boy band, you know. And he sang, Someone to love, right? I mean, uh, we need somebody to love. And before we come to God, guess who the number one love is? Me. I love me. But we need someone to love. We need to replace that self love with a love for God. And this was a testing that Peter went through, it was a sifting. And how many of you remember after Peter returned to Jesus, what happened? How many of you know they had to have the talk, right? How many of you like the talk? Is that fun part? No. We don't like to talk. After there's discipline in my house, there's usually a talk. And it's not fun. <laughs> but what did Jesus show him? What did he ask him three times? Do you love me? And he basically outlined, he outlined his ministry and his future. But each of those, everything he was to do for Jesus was to be motivated by love. Faith works by love. Paul said, if I prophesy like angels, if I can move mountains, but if I have not love, I'm what? I'm nothing. That means nothing, you know, by the way. Nothing. All these things I can do in the Christian life, all the power, all the victories, all the things I can do, if it's not motivated by love, it's nothing. So we have to develop this relationship of love with the Father. And God actually, through the Apostle Paul, showed the Corinthian church. But what did he say? He said, you know, you have... A thousand instructors, but not many fathers. And God, Jesus came with authority from the Father to reveal God as Father and to build a family. Family. Everybody say that with me. Family. God wants a family. This is a church. We got our own website. But it's a Family. I'll never forget the first time I learned that Pastor Ned likes pizza and wings. It was the greatest thing ever, you know. I started coming to the church, and he invited me over for pizza and wings. I'm like, man, the pastor likes pizza and wings? That's great. (laughs) All right. What am I trying to say? What did Paul tell the Corinthian church? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So. In our walk with God, we need to spend time with God the Father, and we need to spend time with the family. Why? Because we learn through modeling. Paul said, listen, I'm sending Timothy to you, and he's going to show you all of my ways in Christ. Why? Because Timothy spent time with Paul. Who did Jesus spend time with? The Father. And he said, I only do the things that please the Father. On my interest here on the earth, is to do the things that please my Father. What He shows me, that's what I do. My ministry is characterized, my life, whatever I'm doing, it's characterized by my love for God. That's where it starts. I love Him. I want to please Him. I want to serve Him. I spend time with Him, and I reflect Him on the earth. Well, Paul said the same thing to the Corinthian church. Listen, Timothy's with me all the time. I want you, I'm going to send him because I can't get there. I want you to watch what he, I want you to spend time with him so that you know my ways in Christ. I, um, I used to be okay with a manual when it was time to fix something, but I'm really glad about YouTube. It makes me a a real big shot at my house when I can fix an appliance, you know? What do i do i watch the youtube watch the guy do it this is how we learn by spending time by seeing the model i um i like tennis and there's this guy he's got his own youtube channel and he just does a terrific job breaking down the tennis swing and i used to coach it and really all i would do was i would watch this guy's videos i would take notes i'd practice it myself and then i would teach my players. right Modeling, family, father, relationship. In God's family, there's love. Amen. And that's what Peter had to learn. He had to learn that this test involved corrections. When I give a test, the day after in my classroom, we go over the test. And some people will be like, well, why would you do that? They already know what they got, they know that's wrong. But the point of a test is to learn, not to see what kind of grade you can get. Now, if you get 100, you learn that you have mastered all of the material. That's still a learning experience. And by the way, when you take the test, you practice the material again. The whole point is to learn it. So if you got a 75, we're going to go over that 25% that you didn't get right. Why? So you can hear it again, so you can see it again. And so that on day three, the whole point is, is that you learn something. Not that you get a 75. Who cares about the number? The point is to learn something. And that's what God has in mind for us. God wants, his ultimate objective for us is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ through a series of tests, through a series of trials, through a series of experiences so that we can learn from these things, so that he can teach us, so that he can guide us, and so that we can go on to perfection. 100. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're overcomers. Now, sometimes it takes a failure for a victory. And this was a mighty failure. Peter denied him three times. But a failure will work for us as long as we don't see ourselves as failures. We're going to fail, but we're not failures. We're overcomers. We need to see ourselves as overcomers. We've got to see the devil on a leash only being used by God. We've got to see ourselves standing on the other side of whatever test, whatever we're going through in victory. We've got to see ourselves standing before Jesus on that judgment day and him saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You passed the test. You made it through. Because remember, the enemy thought that this test would ultimately destroy Peter. He had faith in that. He he thought, if I could put enough pressure on him, if I could throw enough fear on him, he's going to quit. I know it. I've marked that weakness in his life. I've been watching him. But guess what? So did God. God knew about that very weakness, but God used that test and used that trial to perfect Peter in that area. Now, how many of you guys have failed the same test more than once? I know I have. Guess what? Guess what? That's evidence God's working in your life. That's evidence that He's targeting that area. You said, I feel the devil when this goes on. He's just using him. He doesn't have any power. He's on a leash like that dog. You know what I should have done to that German shepherd? <laughs> can't come any farther. You know, that's what we gotta be like with the devil. We gotta laugh at him. You can't take us down. God has an end for me. The steps of a righteous man, they're ordered by God. And though he fall, he's going to rise again. Somebody say sifting for lifting. Hallelujah. Amen. So the devil's faith in failure is not greater than God's faith in victory. Through the trial. We've got to see the world as temporary. Trials. Now this is Bill Hammond talking. I told you I read a book. The trials we go through are our employees. I love that. One time, this guy handed somebody money for harassing him. And the guy's like, what are you doing? I don't like you. Don't give me money. He says, you're working for me. No, I'm not. (laughs) I want to be there, you know. No, I'm not. I'm not working for you. I don't like you. Yeah, you actually are. Because the Bible says that this light, And momentary affliction is working for us a far greater eternal glory. Hallelujah. So the things we go through are working for us. What did Peter say? Think it not strange when you go through the fiery trials. I want to quote these things, but I'm on my computer. We'll talk later. (laughs) Think it not strange when you go through these fiery trials knowing that the testing of your faith, somebody quote it for me. That's an even better one. It produces patience, endurance, amen, hallelujah. The joy to go through it, amen. So thank you, Lord. Um, we have to see ourselves as overcomers. Overcomers. Hallelujah. Finally. Jesus claimed victory over the world before he experienced it. And my reference there is John 16. In verse 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. What's tribulation? Trouble, adversity, affliction, crushing. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So how could he say he overcome the world? He hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hadn't descended and ascended. Are you with me? By the way, Jesus is praying for us (laughs) through all these. Remember he told Peter, I prayed for you? Now, I want you to think of somebody It's like, man, I want that person praying for me. And I remember you thinking Benny Hinn, David Hogan, the pastors, you know, praying for you. It's like, you need to pray for me. You're spiritual, you know. You got a gift. How about Jesus praying for us? At the right hand of the Father making intercession for us as we go through this life, as we go through these trials. He said, Peter, I'm praying for you. And what's he praying for? That your faith is not going to fail. That when this happens, when this shedding process happens, when that chaff is lifted off of you, when you recognize that weakness in your life, when you see that you've got to change and you fail despite of it, I don't want your faith to fail. I want you to still believe in me that I love you, that I'm still for you, that I'm not against you, and that there is a tomorrow despite your today. And most importantly, that you'll return to me. It takes faith to come to God after we failed. Hallelujah. So Jesus claimed victory over the world before he had it. Why? Because he'd already got some victories under his belt, if you know what I mean. And I bet you we can all identify some situations in our life where God came through, where we went through something, but we went through it. The Bible says in Psalm 84, right, that they go through the valley of weeping and that they make it a... Spring. Why? Why? Because their hearts are set on pilgrimage. The ESV says that their hearts are set on the highways to Zion. Hallelujah. So the only way we're going to make it through, and this is 2 Corinthians 4, if you want to look it up later, is if we set our minds on things that are unseen. And guess who's unseen right now in our life? God Himself. Peter said, you're going through the trials. You're coming out gold. Why? Because you love and see him, Jesus. You love him even though you can't see him. So loving God is so important. Every day, God, I love you. I'm acknowledging your presence. I love you. I can't see you, but I'm setting my heart on you. Jesus encouraged us and told us about a man. He said, if his eye be single, some translations say good or healthy, then his whole body will be full of light. Well, the word there, you know, good, healthy, the Greek word's haplos. Really what it means is to to be single or focused. I believe that part of the shedding process is to remove some of the distractions and the things we give our attention to rather than the single, simple, focused love of the Father. Because why? Those that go through the valley of Baca, Psalm 84, those that go through the valley of weeping are going to make it a spring. Why? Because their heart is set, set on Pilgrimage set on Zion, set on God. God, I see this going on right now in the valley, but I'm not going to define myself by it. So Jesus went, had some victories. He saw John the Baptist beheaded and knew he had a similar destiny. And he overcame that. He had to deal with Herod's threats about murdering him and assassinating him. And he said, go tell that fox I'm going to cast out devils anyway. He had to deal with the, with the Pharisees, calling them hypocrites. Can you imagine ca- walking up to the greatest political leaders in your society and calling them hypocrites and dealing with the backlash of that? What about when they tried to stone him when he was talking about Elijah and how he only went to one widow and she wasn't a Jew? The Bible says they drove him right out of the temple to the brow of the hill, but he passed through the midst of them somehow. Why? Because it wasn't his time yet, and until it's your time, the devil can't touch you. They tried to trick him in his words; couldn't do that either. He was able to stop a storm. He saw victories: Jairus' daughter, the demoniac. What did he? Do? What was he doing? He had a taste of the powers of the age to come, as the Bible tells us in Hebrews. So he had some victories under his belt. And I think God wants us to rely on some of those sometimes and say, you know what? If I've gotten through this, if God brought me through this, and I grew through that, I don't see the growth that much, Lord. I'm wondering what you're doing here, but I still know by faith that this is working, that you're working all things together for good. You work that for good. You work that for good. I believe you're going to work this for good too, that I'm going to go through this trial and I'm going to be better off because of it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. God is bringing forth his likeness in us. His likeness. When he created Adam and Eve, the Bible says that he created them according to his likeness and his I can't think of the other word, but I'm not going to quote it because of time. Image and likeness, thank you, pastor. But the Bible says in Colossians 3 and I'll end with this. In Colossians 3:10, I'll start in verse 9. It says, "Don't lie to each other, since you've put off the old man, the chaff, the sifting, for the lifting." With his deeds, and you've put on the new man. Come on, talk back to me. We're almost done. You've put on that new man who is renewed in knowledge. Watch this now, according to the image of him who created him. I'll end with this Jesus has authority from the Father to make sons, to those who believe in his name. He gave them the authority to become children, to become part of the family, to be loved, to love God, to be brought into his family. Only the son has the authority to reveal the father and to make more children. Sing, O you barren. Break forth. Expand those curtains and those stakes. God is interested in expanding his family. God is interested in expanding our lives. God is interested in taking that barren area in our life and and destroying it and expansion. God is interested in looking at the problem and what does he want us to do with it? He wants us to sing to it. I want you to look at that thing. I want you to start singing. I want you to sing to that disease. I want you to sing to that depression. I want you to sing to that character issue. I want you to start singing to it because that barren area in your life is going to become fruitful. Why? Because guess what's before Isaiah 54, verse 1? All of Isaiah chapter 3. The suffering of the wounded servant and everything that he accomplished at the cross made barrenness fruitful. And God's working it in our lives. He's working that expansion. He's working the expansion of his family. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Jesus has that authority from the Father to make more sons and to produce, listen, so this sounds good. He's the doorway to my blessing. He's the doorway to life and eternity instead of death and hell. But he's also the author and the finisher. He's not only the door, but he's the model, the image, and the process. So God says, I'm making sons, but my sons and daughters don't keep their chaff. My sons and daughters don't hang on to old habits and old nature and lying and stealing or whatever it is, that character issue in your life. God says, you're not hanging on to that In the process that I have set up for you, I'm gonna tear that off of you so that you can look like a true son or a true daughter that's conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. He's the author. He can do it. So Father, right now, we trust you. We love you, God, and we believe God. And I feel like, ultimately, God wants to say, don't fear the devil. Don't fear the trials. Don't fear what you might go through because I'm going to use it for your good. Don't fear. Don't fear. But I'm praying for you that your faith isn't going to fail. And I want you to stay in there. Stay in there. Stay in there. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on through this process because when you come out on the other side, there's going to be gold there's going to be victory. And you're going to look back and you're going to say, look what God did. I'm so glad I didn't quit. Look what God did. I'm so glad I didn't get bitter. Praise you, Father. Thank you, God. Praise you, Father. Thank you, God. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our prayer is that your life be enriched through the power of God's Word and that you be filled with His love and strength as you daily serve Him. To learn more about our service times and our ministry and how it is that you can partner with us, visit us online today at romechristiancenter.com.